Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tip of the Spear with your Missoula County Commissioners. I'm Josh Slotnick, and I'm here with my fellow Commissioner Juanita Vero. Dave is off this week and unfortunately won't be joining us, but we have two special guests. We have Jerry Marks, head of the Weed District and Extension Office at Missoula County, and Glenn Marangelo, the Development and Community Relations Director at the Missoula Butterfly House and Insectarium. And they're going to talk with us about the new and exciting Rocky Mountain Gardens and Exploration Center, which will open up in 2023. It's under construction, not just under construction, you can see it taking shape yep. if you happen to be lucky enough to drive by. Pretty so welcome exciting. to both of you and thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having us. To start out, Jerry, explain to us, what is the Extension Office? Okay, I'll give a little history there because <laughs> it really started when our country was being established. George Washington and... and uh, he wasn't Thomas joking. Jeff we are going way back yeah. to George. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was. Did he quite, work for you, Jerry? Yes. <laughs> and, and they were quite. They were quite interested in agriculture. They thought we should do more in that, and that went on for a long time. Finally, in Abraham Lincoln's administration, they passed the Morrell Act or Land Grant Act, which established colleges in all the interested states. And Montana dealt with that in about 1893 when they established Montana State University and the University of Montana. And so that brought the world of agriculture, I guess, more to the people. There was a strong interest in trying to do more with the producers to teach them more. And this led in actually 1887, the passing of the Hatch Act, which established demonstration farms or experiment stations. And there are seven of them in Montana. That is state operated in western Montana. There's one up by Creston and one down there by Corvallis. Well, they still felt there should be a lot more communication with the people, and that went through a lot of gyrations, farmers' institutes, and a number of things, and then was finally passed officially in 1914 with the Smith-Lever Act. And Missoula established its extension office the fall of 1914. So it's been here quite a while. Oh, I should back up and say a little more though on the land-grant colleges, because I've always found this of interest. The southern states weren't necessarily supportive. They were strongly driven by slave labor and didn't want to change their agriculture as much. And that led to, in about 1890, passing of legislation that established land-grant colleges in, I think, five of the southern states, and primarily to enable the black people to have more opportunities uh, toward education. Wow. And I can say it also took almost 100 years later, <laughs> in 1994, that they passed legislation that gave the American Indian colleges land-grant status. Oh. So that's been a, a very much part of this country. Oh, Jerry, that is really fascinating. I had yes. no idea. So when here the word extension, I always thought it was kind of a literal thing. That The idea was that the knowledge generated through research at land-grant institutions was extended out to farmers on the landscape via people who were extension agents. They were, in, a, in essence, informal adult learning teachers taking what was generated at land-grant schools and then literally bringing it out onto the landscape. There was a lot of that throughout the years in the cooperative because it was federal, state, and county. They decided early on to have the counties as a major player. 
in this. And I can add, Missoula would had its course in agriculture, I guess I will call it, what they were growing here. I think uh, because I've been so involved with the horticulture, they had a lot of interest in uh, raising produce that actually went to more of the mining communities in Butte, Helena, and actually in Idaho. And I can add then <coughs> things really started to change. When we put in the pulp mill, that was about 1956, they had a sugar beet plant. They just built that in 1928. And that closed in 1966. Where was the sugar beet plant? Is, it, is that the one by Target? Yes. Because oh. there's big piles of lime. They're yes. still covered oh. up. Yeah, there's, that's right where it is. There's one building left of what was a sugar beet plant. Then. And, and now it's a logistics firm, a tech company. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's changed a little bit. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to say the interstate also come through Missoula in the late 60s. So, Jerry, when you said the pulp mill brought on a change, how so? Labor. Those guys find a job and weren't quite as interested in changing their operation. And what changes is that when the sugar beet thing went out, they kind of switched more to cow-calf pasture. And I'm also going to say with the truck gardening stuff, a lot of the folks said they suddenly didn't have a market. The stores were bringing it in uh, from other places. It just brought a... So the interstate changed all that. Yeah, the interstate changed that, changed that. 70 years ago, sugar beet farming was super labor-intensive, hand labor, topping beets. Without a labor supply, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. So when I come on board, (laughs) get into my history, Missoula was changing. We were getting into development. We had lots of new places that were places subdividing. Another reason they didn't want to change, they want to sell it for subdivision. At the same time, there was folks that says, well, there's still some things we want. I mean, it was McKelvey and Chenron Reinhardt started the first farmer's market in about 72 or 73. And I had several local folks that says, how, how do we grow stuff and market it? And, of course, the grocery stores wanted it more registered and a known quality and quantity so they can fit it into their oncoming computer system. And so that slowly brought a lot of change. And I started the uh, Master Gardener program in 74 because of folks wanting to grow their more own. And I'm going to say that's true about Missoula. We want to know where our food's coming from. That was a process early on. When we got involved in setting up a, a classroom for kids, a Lowell School was in 83, and uh, did that for a few years till our grants run out. And then we worked with a group called Missoula Urban Demonstration Project. I kind of carried that on, and then it was transferred to the Garden City Office in about 1996. I can think of another program that uh, kind of drove us is trying to preserve ag land. And in those early years, zoning was the only thing, and that didn't market itself. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That's very generous in that description, yes, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> 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 it didn't. <laughs> and in the uh, mid-'80s, we had county commissioners that was kind of teaming up with uh, Soil Conservation Service had done their soil survey work, and so we had some idea on what the better soil should we preserve. That didn't market either. I did a uh, class on conservation easements up the Blackfoot. That was the first meeting that was positive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yet another thing that Jerry pioneered, yes. conservation <laughs> easements. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, I, was, I was so pleased because of the struggles we'd gone through in trying to do something that might fit Azula better. So, so what do you think are your responsibilities now or the office's well, responsibilities? Well, I'm going to, I guess I'm trying to head this down the road that we're subject to change. It is what is going on locally, what is important to the people. That is the main thing. And we're often in a somewhat leadership, I guess I can call it that, or ahead of the schedule a little bit to maybe test the waters. 
I'm also going to add Missoula. It's a very passionate community. They kind of want to do some change. They don't always agree on it. <laughs> but there's opportunities that we're being challenged to try to explore and see how it flies. So, Glenn, for those who don't know, would you mind talking a bit about the Butterfly House and what's your role there? Sure. It doesn't have quite the storied history that... <laughs> It's the, just the beginning. History does. starts now. <laughs> We've actually been around for a while, so hopefully more and more people have heard about us and experienced our programs in Missoula. The kind of nugget of an idea started back in probably about 2005 or six. My wife, who is our executive director, so this is very much a family-developed organization and effort, she went back <laughs> to get a master's degree in curriculum development and museum exhibit design with this idea of starting a tropical butterfly house and an insect museum. Where that idea first came from is that she was, um, through her work at the university, she would go into classrooms and talk to kids about insects and do a little bit of insect education. And the times that she went into a classroom with a live insect in hand, it was just this experience that you had the kids' attention immediately. And there were so many different concepts that you can teach depending on what kind of animal you were talking about, whether it was an ant or honeybee or a praying mantis or whatever it was. So that really kind of launched the idea of doing something like this in Missoula. From day one, the goal was to build a tropical butterfly house and an insect museum, but it was obviously a huge first step to take. So we started out all volunteer, started the organization in 2009. I was part of the founding board of directors and volunteered until 2016 doing the fundraising to try to get this moving forward and we just slowly built things and at one point we got to the stage where we were big enough where we wanted to take this first tangible step forward we opened the missoula insectarium in downtown missoula in 2015 which we ran for a little over four years and then Things started growing and starting to change. And luckily we developed this incredible partnership opportunity with the county to kind of reach that bigger vision that we've always had. And that leads into the, the bigger conversation today about the Rocky Mountain Gardens and Exploration Center. But we're really achieving that dream that started everything yeah. quite a while ago. Yeah. We've been at this a few years for sure. Well, congratulations yeah. for sharing. I have to say when I first heard about this, and the funding idea was brought to us that the Butterfly House folks are going to go raise this big chunk of money privately, and then we'll put some of our public money towards the construction of this building that's going to house Extension and the Weed District, and we'll all move forward together. And I thought, that is never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wrong. I'm mean, dead wrong. And what I was thinking was, and this leads into the que my question, I would actually visited a Butterfly House. I went to one in New York City. I can't remember which big, huge, famous, gorgeous thing. And I know there's some in cities in the Pacific Northwest. And my, yeah. my thought was, well, you got to have a critical mass of people who are into this. And if, if we look at how large that critical mass is as a proportion of these other larger cities, well, we just don't have that. No. It's never going to work. And then it totally worked. <laughs> well, so Glenn, why do you think it worked? Well, I mean, number one, I mean, Missoula is amazing. You get this community excited about things and people, people dig in, get excited about it. I mentioned this started at, as our dream and as things grew, it, other people took it on as their dream and it became a bigger community thing. What I equate it to in a lot of different ways was how the carousel for Missoula developed because it was, I think it was one person's basic idea when it first started out, but then the community got excited about it and it slowly grew and, and it took off. And that's kind of the trajectory that we've had over that's the great. years. 
So you started out with, before the dream or before your wife started school, why were you interested in insects? Well, you know, to be honest, we just were nature geeks and, and we've always been interested in a variety of things. But until her work and her interest started developing, I didn't pay attention to insects to the degree I do now. And as an adult learning this, I mean, kids gravitate to insects immediately because they're cool and, and there's, you know, they're just neat and you can handle them and they tickle. Um, but as an adult, I think it was feeding that thirst for learning again, because in the insect world, w- without even trying, you learn something new every day easily. Because I mean, weren't you just... guys like housing these things in the trunk of your car and in your closet? I mean, well, it was yeah. I mean, when we started out, <laughs> you know, I mean, we didn't have offices. It was all volunteer. We would go everywhere we could in the community to set up a booth with terrariums full of insects, which all lived at our house at the time being. So, yeah, we had terrariums all over the place until we finally got the insectarium. We kind of drew the line. We said, okay, no no bugs in the bedroom, but, <laughs> but they were pretty much every place else in the house. Expanding on that, bugs, plants, what's the, uh, the Science and Discovery Center like at the Rocky Mountain Gardens? It will be unlike anything that we've had in Missoula or anything that we've seen in Montana. And, and, you know, I'm talking about this collectively. It's not just what we'll have at the Butterfly House is what our partners at the county will be bringing to the fore with the, the outdoor education gardens, the expansion of their programs with the plant clinics and the 4-H, the cooking demonstration kitchen and everything. But this basically takes the science education that we've had and what the county has had, and we're just ramping things up pretty significantly in a lot of different ways. I mean, our programs will expand. There'll be a lot of new programs based on the new species that we'll have on exhibit. And we'll be able to, you know, the thing I'm so excited about the fairgrounds is it's so central to Missoula. And with everything that's going on there and the continued revitalization and everything that will be out at the fairgrounds, it's such a draw and it's so visible. And it's really just going to take everybody's work and and really kind of put the spotlight on it on it that much more. So I'm just curious, who reached out to who first? This is such a great partnership. Yeah. How, did, how did it come to be? Well, and Jerry, you, please just jump in and correct me. So we've had a partnership with the county going back before this project started on, on different education programs. And I'm not even sure why we were meeting that one day, but Jerry, Bryce Christians with the Weed District, myself and Jen were meeting and we were letting them know of some changes that were coming down the pike for us as, as we were no longer going to be able to stay in our space for the Missoula Insectarium. And so we had a choice. So we can either look for a new space and represent what we've been doing for the past four plus years or an opportunity to do something larger and I mean Jerry basically said hey we, we're, we're going to be building a new home that's going to be out at the fairgrounds why don't we build a bigger building together and have this education center <laughs> I mean if I'm not wrong I mean that's the way I remember it and I think yeah. it really evolved almost as simply as that that's just how Jerry rolls yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know yes. he talks about that steering wheel big I enough know. for everyone <laughs> to put a hand on I it I love exactly, it. exactly. Exactly. That's, yes. that's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for, my, for my take, I guess, on that, i become quite interested in uh, our natural resources, our, our vegetation. And uh, part of that was my connection with the weeds, that, that I wanted to move it from killing weeds to spending more time on what do you want to grow and, and to be more like focused that. on that. And so in the city, it passed a bond issue on the open space, and the interest in it was, was really high. 
and I worked with uh, uh, Montana Natural History Center when they first was out at the fort, and then they moved down over here in putting together educational programs. And so I've had some experiences over time that, I don't know, just kind of drew me more into the insect world in a di little different way. Because in an extension office, you're often dealing with bugs people want to get rid of. They eat your apples or whatever. I become very involved, the county commissioner and a legislator says, well, would you put together a biological weed control program? And that was principally, principally insects. But as we got into uh, our natural areas, it just kind of maybe a change. I was trying to think of how to do it. One of my experiences was actually looking at the bug house in uh, Washington, D.C., um, that's not a euphemism. That's a yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it's a had, funny name for Congress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's true. Uh, they had leaf cutting ants, and they they had a hallway, and they would pack these leaves up over the hallway into. You know, so I said that's interesting, and they had an open corner with African orb weavers, and these are oh, huge spiders, yeah. and they were just sitting there. In come a bunch of kids. Clerk says, "Well, let's let's feed these ants. They drop crickets in there. All oh, those <laughs> ants come alive. Kids come alive." And I says, "You know, kids really want this stuff. There's things we could do to probably more explore. Where I think this is all part of Missoula discovering the land. I guess coming back to that connection on the plants and the insects and how things fit together. And so I thought this. And they were doing a monthly meeting, mm -hmm. <laughs> and at times we would help them find a speaker." and put that together so we had that connection with them and um, the thought of trying to expand that or keep that going was was i don't know i thought it was important to give that a try that's great well it's been super good having you guys here today and we're going to ask you our, our standard final question <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind sharing with us uh, a book you read recently a podcast you heard something from a magazine just a nugget of wisdom something that's stuck with you lately is worth remembering and uh, let us know what that is. It can be anything from anywhere. As far as a nugget of wisdom, I attended Mayor Ingen's memorial over the weekend. And even though it's something that's always kind of been behind what we've been doing in our work all the time, the theme that was brought up all the time throughout that memorial and the work that he did is that, you know, do things that make your community better. Just hearing it over and over again, it's just kind of one of those things that uh, just imagine if everybody set a goal out of, of just doing that on, on a daily basis. Do, it, do things better for your community, your neighbors, at where you can. It's, it makes a huge difference, and, and it really shows how one person can do something uh, pretty extraordinary, or at least you know, feed the seed that gets, that gets other people on board, too. That's well yep. said. Yep. Well, well, well said, Glenn. <laughs> Thanks. I'll probably relate um, on my experience so I advise staff when you're trying to put things together. And um, I have about six things here. Building integrity, building trust with the people is my first one. That, that is really critical. And we do a lot of projects. And what is the mission of the project? What is the purpose? And is there really passion about that project? It is important on teamwork, uh, partnership, collaboration. You can use whichever of those terms you think you want. But the, those, those are the important part of it. Working to empower the people. Leadership development is, to me, is really critical to help people. And, and a lot of change that goes on with the subdivision. I really think that's important. Transparency in the capital allocation. And when we do projects, we got money, we set up a 
special account for that so people got questions they can see it the money in money out and my last one which is true to me I guess projects tend to be long term <laughs> <laughs> that's so good <laughs> he's so modest kind of like, right. <laughs> and what year what year did you start at the county 1969 yeah pretty great so great so great so glad you decided to choose missoula county yeah well (laughs) it's it's has its challenges (laughs) (laughs) well thanks everyone and we'll catch you next week yeah thanks for having us yeah thanks a lot yeah Thanks for listening to the Tip of the Spear podcast. If you enjoy these conversations, it would mean a lot if you would rate and review the show on whichever podcast app you like. And if you know a friend who would like to keep up with what's happening in local government, be sure to recommend this podcast to them. The Tip of the Spear podcast is made possible with support from MCAT, better known as Missoula Community Access Television, and our staff in the Missoula County Communications Division. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to address on a future episode, email it to communications at missoulacounty.us. And to find other ways to stay up to date with what's happening at Missoula County, go to missoula.co slash county updates. And thanks for listening.